You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back this week with another movie review. Actually, it's our last movie review of the summer. Ooh, gosh, I can't believe it's almost the August doldrums already. And it's going to be fun because we're looking at the newest film by Quentin Tarantino, his ninth film, as they like to say. And it is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you go back to the 1960s and get to live in, you know, the world of still innocence and changes on the horizon. It was just really neat to see. And it was a lot of fun and some darkness in it. And we'll talk all about it. And, you know, speaking of darkness and talking all about it, let me say hey to my partner for this week. Mr. Mike Gordon's here. Howdy! How are you, my friend? I am groovy, dude. Ooh, I like the way you're talking. This is awesome. Yeah, man. Can you dig it? Did you take that cigarette that was laced with acid again? I did not yet. Yeah, not Maybe. yet. I don't know. I don't remember. Well, there you know, that that does have a history of happy. So, I thought that's the way all red apple cigarettes made you feel. I don't know. I never smoked, so I couldn't tell you. It doesn't have that scratch in the back of your throat. It's really Not smooth. Not at all. Really smooth. Really smooth. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun to go to the movies this week. Had a great time. We've got a great crew to talk all about it. We even have a new victim in the geek seat. So it's going to be a very filled, filled show tonight. Of course, we want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com. Big shout out real quick to our Patreons at patreon.com slash ESO network. Wanted to say thank you to everyone for, you know, signing up and joining with us and, you know, definitely talking to us and, you know, expressing things and we're giving you guys cool stuff up there. So it's even better. You know, we definitely want to hear from you guys and I'm actually playing with the idea of even adding more rewards to being part of the ESO network Patreon where you get this show 48 hours before the rest of the world. So you'll be able to hear me and Mike talk about all kinds of really cool stuff. So with that being said, you know, there's just so much to talk about so much to do. And before I go though, you know, I want to give a quick, you know, shout out to a couple of our patrons. Let's say, Hey, to Bill Lemon who has been, you know, writing us almost every episode and just saying, Hey, thanks for, you know, talking about the different stuff on your shows. And he actually even sent an email talking about what's going on over in the earth station who podcast. And we'll talk about that with some mail we got from him tomorrow. So definitely bill, thank you so much for being part of it. Also want to thank, of course, uh, Mary Ogle, you know, our co-host, she helps support the ESO network by, you know, you know, giving us some money, you know, everyone just, you know, putting their little bits in. It's really cool. Uh, we also have a few other folks who have been, you know, talking to us and, you know, saying, Hey, we want this, we want to do this. You know, it's just really awesome to be able to 
find out Dave Slaughter is up there, you know, just thank you everybody for doing it. We, you know, you guys have, you know, all these different things that you guys are coming to us with and, you know, saying we're with the ESO network and, you know, that just, it comes really from the heart. And we wanted to say a big thank you from both Mike and I. That's even better. Let's get started now with this week's, you know, rants and raves where we talk about all kinds of different stuff. You know, yesterday I went to the Atlanta Comic Con and I was walking around and it's interesting, five years ago, I would have been looking at all the different comic bins, looking at all the different toys and, you know, looking at all these different things that that's at the con and just now I'm like in and out of the vendor room within 20 minutes because I don't collect single issue comics anymore. I'm actually in the process of downsizing my comic collection. And it's interesting to think about, you know, what, how it changes as you get older or as your interests kind of change. And, you know, Mike, you know, this is where I'm going to push it out to you also. Do you find that, you know, your interests in what you collect and everything is changing? Well, sure. And, you know, we're getting older. It's not fun. No, it isn't. It's, uh, you know, uh, you first. Um, but <laughs> um, so you're you're ahead of me on a lot of things. Like, for example, you've already uh, consolidated a lot of your uh, uh, collection. And uh, I think in, in terms of uh, definitions, consolidated means gotten rid of. Uh, <laughs> instead of, although uh, I was talking to, it's interesting because I was talking to uh, Michael Bailey, another one of the mics. Of course. He's cool. He's cool. You know, we're all, we're, we all meet at the council, you know, and uh, talk over things. And uh, he had just recently uh, finished consolidating, um, really uh, organizing his comics so that uh, they are in, I think, um, they're just nightly, neatly start up in uh, some, uh, some, uh, some, I don't know if they're drawer boxes, but comic boxes. And he's got it to a point where he, it's livable. Like he's got like, he's got that collection down so that it's, it forms a nice little, you know, now whether or not, you know, he goes, he goes over that or whatever in the future, but right now he's on top of things. And I'm really jealous because uh, I, I, I really need to do that. My, my comic collection is just out of is it's out of it's out of control. It's been out of control for years, and um, it, it's crazy. I mean, I must have probably I don't know because a lot of stuff isn't in boxes. So I'd say I probably have close to fifty to sixty long boxes where the comics. That's that's not sustainable in my in my living environment. It's just not like I don't and I'm getting more every week. So. Um, but because of that, um, it has made me change a lot of things in terms of, uh, I don't get single issues as much, uh, as to your point, I don't, I don't search for them. Uh, I have certain runs that I'm trying to still complete single issue wise, but you know what? I don't, I don't have time or the patience to look through like bins anymore. I just like. Like if I want something and I can afford it, I'll like click and get it online. <laughs> it's just like, that's, it's just easier for me to do that way. 
No, it's definitely interesting because I remember, you know, going to comic shops and conventions when I was younger and, you know, walking out with a pile of comics, you know, from going through their back issues and such. And, you know, just, you know, sometimes up to 50 comics or something, you know, if I found a run or if I knew I needed this for my collection or that these were just stories that I wanted to read. Now I'm finding it's mostly, oh, what trades do they have? Oh, do I want to read this story? You know, this storyline, this storyline, and, you know, find them like at the, you know, $5 bin or, you know, half off bin and such. It's just, it's like really awesome. Yeah. I, I pretty much now when I go to shows and I get comics or if I go to the comic shop and get comics, uh, most of the time I get trades. Um, I'm looking for a trade collection of something, either something that I already have so I can have an excuse to get rid of it or something that I've wanted to read that I don't want to, you know, bother with getting all the single issues of. So, um, and a lot of times, like some of the, some of the times I'll be honest with you, uh, just this past weekend, I bought a trade. Uh, I mean, I have, uh, one of the things I doubt I'll ever get rid of. Uh, there are certain comics that I will never part with. And, um, this run, the run that I have, the original run, actually any, any of the comics that have Matt Wagner's Grendel in it, I will not sure. get rid of. But I found uh, uh, in the in the $5 bins, I found a trade of uh, of, of a Grendel uh, graphic novel by Comico. And uh, I'm like, oh, great. Now I don't have to dig out those issues when I want to reread the story. So, you know, sometimes it's just easier to get the trade. No, totally understand that. Because sometimes it's nice for somebody who's like... Um not a completionist and stuff, you know, I want to find out what happens in the story. Cause I always hate it when I find an issue before the first issue of a storyline. And then like the second, the third and fourth part, but don't have the second. Cause I don't like reading ahead. Right. Right. And so it's just like, Oh, I got these issues, but I can't, they have to sit in the box or something until I find that one issue. And it's probably some rare one or something that I just will be impossible to find. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting when it comes to that because, you know, like there's certain ones, it's just like um, when I was looking at Ollie's, you know, it's another place you go for trades and such because, you know, they sell them a little cheaper. And it's funny when you go to the shows and you actually find that they went shopping at Ollie's too and now reselling them for more expensive, which is actually not a bad idea to do. You know, it's like, this is what I would do, you know, if I was reselling stuff. Oh, I'll buy these and then double the price or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I have a, a huge problem, though, and I've had it for most of my life. And I know that they say that you should never, I mean, you should always buy, you know, collect things where that A, you know, collect things that you have the space for and collect things that you have the, the money for. And I've just never... <laughs> I've never thought of that at all. So, I mean, I always, I always, uh, I don't, I don't consider space or, or budget whenever I, I collect stuff. No, it's just like, Ooh, pretty. That's awesome. Yeah. And it could go from like, Oh, there's a cool comic trade over here that I've wanted to read for a little while to, Oh, Hey, there's a tiki mug that's going to be on sale pretty soon. That's coming out or, you know, anything random that, that, that shows up on my feed or on, on eBay or whatever. So it's like, yeah, 
it's tricky. I, I was actually really proud of myself for for staying away from Prime Days on Amazon. I didn't get a single thing on Prime Days. So I wish I would have said that. <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't do that. Uh, which meant that, that that just meant that everything that I buy on Amazon, I'm paying more for than I should have. So well, that's <laughs> par for the course in our lives. You know, yeah, let's not get it on sale. I'll pay full price. Don't worry about it. But I, I do want to make it a goal uh, over the next year, because I think it's going to take some time, but over the next year to to really whittle away uh, my comic collection so that it's uh, just the quote-unquote essentials. Um, so, um, I mean, even if I could get down to 20 long boxes, uh, that would be uh, that would be something for me, and uh, I think that uh, it's doable. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of comics that I have seen haven't seen in maybe ten years that I could probably do without <laughs> because I haven't seen them in ten years. So, right, of course, you know, a friend of mine once told me if you don't read something or play with something or listen to something for over four or five years it's time to get rid of it that that was a hippie friend no actually (laughs) new age not hippie come on there's a big difference dude there is a huge huge difference man no no i'm kidding but Mm -hmm. no you're not but it's okay but it's it's interesting because you know it's that's been my thinking because i'm literally going to be selling my comic book collection and right now it's 12 long boxes worth of comics. And, you know, this is probably a collection I've only been collecting for the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, cause I, you know, I picked up comics regularly, but I also picked up stuff at yard sales and, you know, some, you know, estate sales and stuff like that. So it just added and added and added. So this is probably like my fifth or sixth collection I've had. So yeah, this is, I've never done, I mean, I've, I purged, not really purged, but I did give away, I give away, I, well, it felt like giving away cause I only got like pennies on the dollar for it. But, um, but I did give away or get rid of a chunk about 10 years ago or so. Um, and that might've been five long boxes. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing like this. I mean, I, and I, because I have, I mean, I literally have almost every single comic I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. Yeah. So I've got, you know, uh, from, uh, yeah, I've got comics that, uh, the first Batman comic I ever had, I still have that one. The first, uh, Spider-Man comic I ever had, I still have that one. Like I, I still have everything that I've had from, uh, my entire life. So, Oh, I'd be in trouble if that was the case. I'd probably, you know, because remember, I used to own a comic book store, so I had to buy up stock for that. And, yes, but that wasn't yeah. your personal collection. Well, my personal collection actually got it started at the time. Well, sure. And everything. And then I just kept on adding up and adding up and adding up. And so that just that grew it all together and pushed, you know, into the store and... So, and that was just one of my collections. And then another, another collection I had, you know, paid for my three semesters of college for me. So, so it just, you know, all depends, you know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any, like, look, I mean, I don't, 
I, I have so many comics that even if I got 50 cents for each comic, you'd think that I would be like in the money, but I really have no um, uh, sort of uh, illusions that these are going to be like, that are, these are going to get me anything. Cause they're, they're just, most of the comics that I have are, are not quote unquote worth a lot. So no, they're not, but you know, you enjoyed reading them. So that's all that counts. Some of them I did. Yeah. Most yeah. of them. I did. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's, that's the way to think of it. You know, they brought you enjoyment and they brought you happiness. At I don't regret buying. I'm no, just no, saying, I didn't like, think you like, did. The idea of me selling a chunk and being able to like, you know, pay for like, like college, like you said, it just wouldn't happen. No. So I would sell these and they, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't make enough to, you know, I'd be, I'd make enough to be like, Hey, Michelle, maybe we can go out to eat. Well, I remember, you know, right before I moved to Seattle the first time, I sold my run of Sandman and that paid for my move out there. Yeah. Well, so. that back then you could, but now you sell those same books and they're not worth as much. No, of course not. But it's like, you know, one point I had a spawn number one or, you know, you had stuff like that for, you know, for the collection I had for college, I had an in- initial run of the new X-Men from giant size X-Men number one all the way through the death of uh, Jean Grey mm-hmm. and the Dark Phoenix saga. I know Dark Phoenix is a very bad word lately, but that's okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, but it was just... Yeah, yeah. That didn't do anything to value those comics anymore, did it? Nope, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, but also I had a lot of the um, Stan and Jack run of X-Men. And, you know, I had some older, you know, Amazing Spider-Man like, you know, when you found out that, you know, who the Green Goblin was and, you know, stuff like that, you know. So it was pretty cool stuff that I had in my collection. And, you know, I used to go, my dad was great about, you know, if you, he was like, these are investments, son, you know, keep them, you know. And it was good advice. I think it's probably the best advice my dad ever gave me. Hmm. So it was cool stuff. But, you know, and that's fun. And, you know. Now it's like I said, the trades and everything, but I'm getting to the point now, if I, some of these trades, I'm starting to trade in even. And, you know, after I read them and it's like, I'm not going to read them again. So I keep them. So, but I also know probably within the next couple of years, I'm going to be moving and I don't want to move that kind of stuff again. Right. Yeah. Well, it's something that, I mean, as you said, it, it changes. And just because, you know, you sort of get older and you realize, you know, it's like, uh, you know, certainly uh, with um, Michelle's parents and I've seen this with other, with friends and everything, you know, going through, you know, your parents stuff after they passed and a lot of junk. And you're kind of like, man, I don't like it. <laughs> if something were to happen to me, man, someone's going to have to go through all my junk and it's not going to be pretty. They're probably just going to want to burn it. Well, exactly. It's like what you consider something valuable, another person might not. We found that out with Judy's mom a couple of years ago. You know, all the stuff that she had, you know, that she thought was collecting and such. And to both myself and, G- and Judy, it was just like, nah, doesn't do anything for me. But Judy's sentimental, so she kept half of it, so. It's, you know, it gets, you know, it's also eye of the beholder. So. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, certainly I uh, probably could qualify for being on an episode of Hoarders. Oh, I always tell Judy that 
if I didn't come along, they would have had to dig her out of her old house because hmm. she is a hoarder. She, you'd be amazed the stuff that she's not gotten rid of. She still has, you know, magazines or newspaper articles or, you know, old bills from like 1998 or earlier from canceled checks from like banks that haven't been existed since the late eighties. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing things that she keeps and stuff that I've had to make. I'd had to force her to either shred or get rid of or give to goodwill. You know, it's just like, it's just amazing what you have and to get rid of. And I'm in some ways, you know, I have that kind of too, but more, those are my hobbies, you know, type thing. Right. You know, your stuff is crap. My stuff is collectible. Yeah. So everyone gets that way. So it's kind of cool. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's all the, it all boils down to the George Carlin routine about stuff, right? Of course, a place for my stuff. That's what your house is. Yep, exactly. When, when you go on vacation, it's just smaller stuff you take with you mm-hmm. to make you feel comfortable. <sighs> with that being said, want to hear from you guys at home. What did you guys think? Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. We definitely would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment with The Geek Seat. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. The better that these Marvel films do, the higher the standards are going to be for not just other films in general, but other Marvel films also. I think it's really hard to end a show with this many fans in a satisfying way. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week and right here on the ESO Network. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is time for the Geek Seek segment and our victim this week is Kevin Marshall. Welcome to the show, sir. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the station. Uh, For those people who uh, may not be familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, my name's Kevin Marshall. I, um, I'm primarily an actor here in Atlanta, um, but a big geek, big super fan, um, love going to conventions, uh, used to do convention work for a long time, and then um, just recently made my way back to Atlanta. Um, all the film and TV that's going on here uh, is pretty fantastic. Um, and um, just getting more involved in the fandom community here and trying to do some more writing, uh, more reviews. Um, I kind of recently discovered comic books again, so I'm kind of getting back and starting over with all those. And uh, it's it's been good. I, I'm keeping myself busy for sure. Awesome. Now, where did you say you were from Atlanta originally? I grew up in Savannah. I moved to Atlanta uh, in 98 uh, after college, and I spent a few years in Louisville, but um, Georgia's, Georgia's home. Georgia's pretty much been home. So, so tell us, uh, you know, uh, firsthand the how what the explosion of this sort of uh, film community has been like here. It's, uh, you know, it's always been Georgia's always been pretty film friendly. I grew up when I grew up in Savannah. You know, Savannah's always had a lot of period film shot there. Um, mm-hmm. The buildings are all very are all original. I mean, after Sherman's March and after he came through and pretty much burned everything uh, in his path. He um, got to Savannah and kind of left it alone. And um, from what I understand, it was kind of a gift to Abraham Lincoln. And he kind of just went around it and kind of kept moving on. And 
right now, that's why so many period films are shot there. Things like Glory and The Conspirator and things like that, because they don't really have to build a set. All the, all the buildings are original. They just throw some dirt on the ground and throw some, some flags up and some torches and it's ready to roll. Um, so it's always been feel pretty film friendly as far as that goes. Um, and then when the tax, uh, the tax incentive came, uh, to the state, um, a lot of productions came over. Um, it kind of hit its peak. Uh, see, I've been back about four years now when I moved back, Spider-Man homecoming was about to shoot. And, um, it was just one of those things where Marvel had moved in. Um, Netflix was starting to do more stuff here and, um, it just kind of became kind of Hollywood East for a while. So it was, it was a pretty exciting time for somebody who never really wanted to live on the West coast, but still wanted to, to pursue entertainment. Yeah. I know that it's one of the things that, uh, attracted me to move to Atlanta. Um, and I, cause I was in Orlando for a while and, uh, I moved up here in 93 mm-hmm. because, uh, because rumblings were that, you know, things were getting filmed here and, uh, and it took, you know, a good, a good while, but I think, uh, now, yeah, it is, it really is Hollywood South. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've had some, some current things with certain bills that may or may not be passed and we're definitely hitting a rocky point right now some some productions are starting to to think uh about pulling things out of here just for 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 political reasons and you know we're we're kind of dealing with that right now but i i guys like jj abrams and jordan peele are are staying and they're just taking some of their some of the money they make and some of the proceeds and putting it toward uh certain causes to kind of change things around a little bit so uh, politics aside, I mean, I, I, I really hope things stay here. I don't want Georgia to be looked on as this, you know, narrow-minded, super conservative, crazy place. But you know, uh, it, it's just it's nice here, and I think that and I've talked to a lot of Californians that come here and work on crew, and and they like having seasons. Kind of, they kind of dig the cold. They kind of dig that there's different beaches and mountains and, and things like that all here. So I, I, I really kind of hope things kind of stay for a while. I know Marvel is kind of at the end of their, uh, end of their run as far as working with Pinewood, but you know, walking dead still going fairly strong. I mean, for the most part, it's, it'll always be a, a tourist attraction. I mean, Sonoy will always be a destination for people. Even if that show is gone, it'll be something that people still trek to. And, um, I hate to see Marvel go, but I like to see Netflix come in. And I, you know, I, I just kind of hope that things kind of right themselves. But right now, a lot of the you know, Georgia's kind of getting a dirty look from a lot of people. And, and I, I don't know if we can fix that. It's, I hope we can. And one of the things that I've always wanted to do is really promote Atlanta, Georgia, and promote the cities around us and let them, let people know that we've got good talent here. We've got a good crew here and we're not, we're not this, southern backwoods crappy state that you know that doesn't deserve to to be in the spotlight you know and i've I've got a lot of pride living here and i just i want people to want to be here too so i mean hopefully we can get over this hump and make things make things work out now um uh are there uh, particular projects that you've been involved with that you're particularly proud of um i got to work on infinity war 
and I got to work on Endgame, which it, it, which I was pretty excited about. I, uh, That's very cool. As an actor, we don't really do a lot of extra work. Most agents would rather you, you know, audition for things. They don't really want to see you in that world. Uh, when Avengers came around, I, I, I knew I wasn't getting an opportunity to read for anything. Um, so I, I, I definitely tried to jump into the extras just to try to do something with it. Um, but because of my stand-in and photo double experience, I got lucky and I got to stand in for Paul Rudd uh, for a day on, on, on an Endgame. Um, now, they shot Infinity War and they shot Endgame at the same time. So I didn't know which movie, <clears throat> which one I would actually be in or which one that I, would actually, I was actually working on at the time. But uh, it was, it was kind of cool because when we shot the scene that we shot, it was a real pivotal scene. Uh, and at the time, I thought I knew what was going on, but I realized that I was holding on to a secret that I wasn't even really aware of, <laughs> which was kind of <laughs> cool. But it was a close set that day, so uh, all the big wigs, all the top dogs were there. And um, it, it, I, I, I slid in there nicely, and it was, it was – it was fantastic. I mean, watching Peter Dinklage work a little bit on Infinity War was fantastic. And then getting to watch uh, Renner and Downey and, and all those guys work uh, and meeting Paul Rudd. And it's just, it was, it was mind blowing. It was a, it was a geek moment for sure. I, I can, I can turn fan fanboy on and off when I need to, but it was really hard to kind of contain my excitement. But, uh, but it was fantastic. I don't want to. I, I I certainly don't want to give away. I mean, off off this, we can talk more about what the scene was. But sure, I, sure. I certainly don't want to give anything away. But um, it was a pretty fantastic experience, and it only lasted a couple of days. Uh, and uh, Walking Dead was also another pretty fantastic experience for me as well. Um, those were probably my my two favorite sets to be on. Um, uh, and and when they say that that cast and crew is like family, it's it really is. Everyone is really kind to one another. Everyone's really sweet to each other. Marvel was fantastic. Walking Dead was fantastic. Um, so that's good. It made me feel good to know that, that those were all true stories and, and things that you read about. Well, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you were, you were about to geek out at, or you came pretty close to geeking out, at, but we want to find out really what makes your, what, what makes you geek out the most. So Mike, yeah. that, uh, Mike it's time for the questions. <laughs> All right. It's time to, to strap him into the seat. Strap him into the seat. All right. I didn't prepare any answers. I'm just I'm just gonna wing it. So it's hey, it's either know, gonna be really entertaining that's... or it's gonna be really boring. But we'll <laughs> we'll give it a shot. Well, you know that's uh that 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 the the chair is what it does. You know, I mean, it just yeah. uh, it is what it is. Okay, Kevin, are you ready for your first question in the geek seat? I'm ready. He seems too confident. I don't know what about this, Mike. I, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll make this. I'm going to crack. I'll crack at like the third question. I'll be like, I don't know. Quit asking me questions. <laughs> okay, Kevin Marshall. All right. What was your favorite geek out moment? My, my, mo my, my big geek out moment that was my favorite is actually fairly recent. It was a couple of years ago on Walking Dead. I got to play a Kingdom Soldier, and I was ready. I was strapped in. I was super professional. I sat there for a second and I was ready to go and Greg Nicotero was directing and he comes out and he called right before he calls action. I look over and um, I see Melissa McBride as Carol standing right next to me holding a weapon. And I, I, my brain just went numb because it was like a, it was like a cosplay, but not a, like it, 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 it didn't really even hit me. And I look over and I see her standing there as Carol Peltier, like ready to, ready to do this scene. 
And uh, that was probably my biggest geek out moment. Um, the Paul Rudd thing was great, but 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 looking over and seeing Carol standing next to me uh, and seeing the knife and seeing the gun in her hand, it was it was pretty amazing. I was like, "Am I really here, it, or it, am I dreaming?" It was, man, it felt like a dream. It was really weird. It, it it was it was pretty amazing, though. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Um. I got to stand in for, I got a photo double and stand in for George Eads. And I was a big CSI fan. Um, I stood in for him on MacGyver. That was my first real gig here. And um, George was really nice, but I didn't really get a chance to get to know him really well. And um, I had heard that he wasn't the most, the best person, most pleasant person to work with. Um, right. But that's everyone's. That's everyone's different. Has the different perceptions of different people. And, oh, of course, you and, might just catch them in a bad. Yeah, you never really know. So I, uh, I really thought that I was going to get a chance to like get to know him. I worked on that show for a little over a year, and I really thought I was going to get an opportunity to get to know him. Um, and uh, you know, it, he was cordial and nice to me, but it was one of those things where it just in passing, uh, he would just kind of say hello or tap me on the shoulder and just keep walking. And I just it really bummed me out because I wanted to like really be be friends with them and be like hey you know, i'm just I mean, I'm, your, I'm your double and this is gonna be awesome and i don't know why i thought we were gonna be like best friends but it didn't it didn't really happen but uh i loved the experience and I'm, I'm sure he's a really nice guy that was the most disappointing thing for me was not to really uh develop kind of more of a relationship with him just because it was my first big time set set job and uh, i no. wish it would have gone further than that but it was cool. you thought you were going to be like uh rick dalton and cliff booth like i Pat? thought yeah yeah exactly i was like i, uh, was yeah. just I, thinking I do that. all the heavy load i'm the heavy load wow, we're just about to talk about that later <laughs> yes wait i I, I, I just i saw it uh i went and saw that uh opening night uh so if you guys uh pepper in a little bit of tarantino into this conversation i'm okay with it because i already saw the movie as well and it's awesome that is awesome and we did warn about spoilers at the beginning of the show okay so it's perfect Perfect. What geeks you the most? Um, geeks me out the most. Um, you know what's funny is I know that I talked about always being a comic book fan uh, with you guys. Uh, I talked about how kind of I rediscovered comics recently, and I and I found a way to get back into comics after not reading for a long time. And now I go to as many comic book stores as I can, and I you know just buy up stuff and. And I think that when I sit kind of in my, my, my personal space, my room or whatever, and I look around and I just see stacks of bags, bagged and board comics of things that I haven't even gotten around to reading yet. I think that geeks me out the most because I, I know there's these worlds and these stories and this artwork that's sitting like an arm's length away from me that I haven't even cracked open yet. And I think that geeks me out because I know that, I can open those up and just enter a whole new world at any moment. And it's like, it's just untouched that gems that are sitting in here that, that, I, that, that really geeks me. I love looking around and seeing my Blu-rays, my memorabilia, my, my comic book collection growing, uh, my IMAX tickets, my things on the wall, all my, my Jen Urso figures, all my Zatanna crap, you know, like every day I wake up and I look at that stuff and it, and it just, it, it motivates me and energizes me. It's great. That is awesome. Yeah. But let, what turns your geek off? Um, hearing stories about like, uh, actors that, that didn't enjoy their, their time on a certain set or, or, or we, we were talking about Tarantino in particular. Like, uh, I, I don't know if I'm answering the question the way this you want is me to answer your the segment. question, but answer whatever what you turns want. me off, 
something that I love, well, something that I love is I love Tarantino movies. And like when I hear stories about, you know, how Uma Thurman, you know, almost basically died on certain sets because he, you know, wanted her on the hood of a car. Or when I hear about um, how Rose McGowan doesn't get along with people anymore because, you know, I, it's just Planet Terror and the Grindhouse, Rodriguez, all those guys. I, I just want, I live in this fantasy world where everyone gets along and has a good time and all have, you know, go bowling together. And it's not always that way. And it's just like, it's just one of those things that it really turns me off when I hear that something that I love or a project that I love, people don't have fond memories of, or they don't really care about it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the crow, like a giant crow fan. And um, Brandon's death, you know, was a horrible, horrible thing. And um, I've gotten to become pretty good friends with Rochelle Davis, who played Sarah. And we talk about the crow a lot on the phone. And when I see her and um, I forget that it's such a sad moment for those that cast the crew because of Brandon, it's hard for me to be excited about talking about the movie with her because I don't want to bring up bad memories. So um, that's not really a turnoff. That's more of just like, it bums me out that probably my favorite movie and my favorite story of all time is painful for a lot of other people. And that makes it, it's, I don't know if it's a turnoff, but it's, it sucks. You know what I mean? It does suck. Yeah. It's something that I love, but other people, it It hurts other people. It hurts other people, you know, that's, that's, that, that, that's a bummer, you know? Mm -hmm. What fictional character you'd like to meet the most? Um, I mean, who doesn't want to meet Batman? Um, I, I I think I'd want to meet Zatanna. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Right. That's true. Uh, Zatanna. I, I, I have this weird, I, I, Zatanna is a character that's kind of a, I wouldn't say it's a deep cut character, but it's, it's, it's a character that, that I find, you find that everyone loves, but not everyone, uh, but she's not like a, you know, a, a giant popular Wonder Woman, Wolverine, Batman type character. It's kind of like a certain, certain type of fan likes that character and she's kind of a deep cut, but, um, because of her, it, it, my love of Justice League Dark, you know, kind of, kind of, grew, kind of grew from that. But um, I'd say, I'd say Zatanna. She's probably a fictional character. I think would be would be pretty awesome to meet and, and talk to and hang out with. No, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. What fictional character would you like to meet the least? Um, <sighs> Carnage. <laughs> if we're well, going to talk comic books once you meet them you know that's it <laughs> that's pretty much it i don't think that 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 meeting would go very well i don't think i'd last too long uh, in a room with carnage uh uh i think that carnage would probably the one i'd probably want to meet the least <clears throat> nope, totally understand that yeah yeah what is your ideal geek word phrase quote or pose um Favorite geek word, phase, quote. Um, I don't know. Let me think. Uh, I wouldn't say, I say word a lot, like word, but I don't think that's really geeky. I think that's just kind of a weird thing to like an old retro thing to say. It's okay. Uh, it's, it's whatever you want it yeah, to be. I think, I think, I think I say word a lot. I, I think that that's one of those, that's, that's probably my favorite thing. That's not usually my go to. I say rock and roll a lot too. When someone says something that I really dig, I'll say, all right, man, rock and roll. So that's probably what I use the most. Awesome. That's not a bad thing to say. (laughs) That's pretty awesome though. Yep. Awesome dude. All right. Cool. Yep. What is your ideal geek occupation? Um, geek occupation. Um, 
I think I think being a content creator, I think being somebody that gets a hold of a property uh, and and creates creates content around it, whether you're a showrunner or whether you're um, developing uh, a comic book or a graphic novel or or I would love for somebody to say, "Look, this is a property that we want to do something with." you know, here, what do you think? And then going back and reading issues of comics or watching cartoons or going back and, and studying a character and trying to breathe life into a character that, that either hasn't been used in a while or um, really hasn't done a lot of deep digging on. I think that would be exciting and challenging taking a character that, that not a lot of people are familiar with and, and breathing new life into them. I think that, that for whatever property or IP you wanted to use it for. I think that would be the best thing being being able to be handed the keys uh, to a car and saying here, you know, this is yours. Just do whatever you want with it. And um, and, and, and pulling an old figure out of the toy box and, and, and breathing new life into that character. I think that would be that would be the best job to have if someone would allow you to play with their toys. I think that's really cool. That's awesome. What yeah. would you not like to do? Um. I love animation and I don't need instant gratification, but like, I think working for Pixar or somebody like that would be awesome. But the fact you have to wait four years to see the fruits of what you just done, I think that's gotta be frustrating. You know what I mean? Like it's gotta be awesome to work on something, but like having to wait four years to see a finished project it, to me would, would, would drive me crazy, but, uh, rewarding, but at the same time, that's just way too long to see your, your work. Uh, finally realized and 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 seeing people react to what you've done i'm sure it's very rewarding but four years for an animated animated film to me would would drive me crazy oh yeah i've had friends of mine who did voice acting work and they were in video games and they had completely forgotten that they did the work like three years later (laughs) yeah absolutely a friend came up to them, hey, do you know you did this? And then they were like, uh, what? Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I, got paid, I got paid 45 bucks to do that. I remember that. <laughs> so, like I said, I wouldn't need the instant gratification, but at the same time, you know, that's that's a long time to wait for something. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, but then, you know, it's a good chance that, you know, if it's popular, you'll come back in another four years. It's awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, Kevin, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Final question. Let's, let's do it. This is for all the marbles. <laughs> uh, I'll bet it all. I bet it all. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Ultimate geek fantasy. Remember, we are somewhat fan- family friendly. Yes. No, of course. <laughs> oh, I was going to talk about Zatanna again. Okay. Now I know I got to change my answer. But I'm bumped. You know, I, I've been lucky enough to kind of do a couple of things that I wanted to do. I, um, Ultimate geek fantasy. I would love for del toro to pick back up justice league dark like he had talked about doing for the big screen and i want to be involved in that as much as possible uh if it came down to writing or if it came down to set design or it came down to actually appearing in the film or acting in the movie i want to see del toro's justice league dark come to life and i want to be involved as much as possible whatever i can do 
that would be the ultimate geek fantasy for me. That is awesome, man. That is really awesome, actually. Yeah, I would love that. Well, Kevin Marshall, I've got great news for you, sir. Yes. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay. Huzzah. Thank you. Mr. Mike Gordon, awesome. tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $21.06. Sweet. I'll take it. But he gets all the residuals from the Avengers movie, so, you know. Yeah. I'll get that <laughs> 15 cent check every year or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for for joining us. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to seek you out and, I'm, uh, and, and hang out with you? I'm building I'm building a site now, but I'm I'm, a, I'm on social media, uh, Kevin Marshall on Facebook, and then um, I'm branding Marshallverse M A R S H A L L V R S E. Um, that's my Instagram. That's um, pretty much everything else online right now. Um, and that'll be my website. Um, I'm building a site right now. So Marshallverse is the brand name that I'm using, and that's 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 what I'm going to continue to use for the foreseeable future. Well, very cool. We Great. will point people in that direction. Wonderful. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity and the time. Alex, it was great having you on. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Miles, then. Put it there. That your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> oh, the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? No, I'm stunned, man. Look at me. So you still direct, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. Line. Cut! Embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. And it has been. Uh, August night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on the ground. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Charlie's gonna dig you. And that gospel group. Telling you 
sound. That can all change like that. Hey! You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for our movie segment, and we are going back and talking about the newest, or actually ninth film by Quentin Tarantino. And we are looking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we did mention already that there is going to be spoilers, because we got a lot to talk about, folks. A lot of spoilers in this one, that's for sure. Yes, and uh, we have with us, uh, Ashley Pauls is back with us, our movie person. Hello, thanks for having me back. I wasn't sure you were going to be back for this one or not, because I know that, you know, I was like, I don't usually associate you with Tarantino movies. It is kind of funny. I I have no idea why I like Quentin Tarantino. I just know that I do. So have I'm you looking seen forward to nine. I've seen most of them. There's a couple I haven't seen. I haven't seen Kill Bill for whatever reason. <laughs> I know. I know. It's ter- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I've seen almost all of his other ones and really enjoyed them. So. And I was about to crown you movie guru, Ashley. You know? I know. I, I lost some geek points there, but I, I have to tell the truth. There, there's a few gaps. It's like we but... need to do a, a sequel series of, of movies that Ashley needs to see. Yes, the list let her, is... Let her get through Game of Thrones long. first. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <right>. yeah. <laughs> if the list is too long. All right. We also have back with us Richard Ewell is back. Hey, thanks, guys. Yep, uh, and Kill Bill is one of my favorite movies. So, <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't seen all nine either. So I'm a. He's uh, only made nine people. Like how I know. Is it? <laughs> I know. Hey, you know the funny thing is, is I've owned Inglorious Bastards for years, and I've still never seen. Never it. broken open the seal, huh? To be no. fair, it's nine movies, but it's really ten because he counts Kill Bill as one. <laughs> so <laughs> really nine. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And you just heard Austin Sprake is with us. Hey, uh, thank you very much for having me. I love Tarantino, and I've seen all of his movies, so I'm very excited to talk about this one with you guys. Finally, somebody who's seen all nine movies. (laughs) (laughs) I have also. That's why we needed Austin to join us, Mike, because we needed somebody else who'd seen all (laughs) Well, exactly, and it's awesome because he references a lot of his other movies in this one. He always references his own movies. He is like so full of himself. Anyway, um, all right. So we'll get this out of the way since Alex is not here. Uh, if you're wondering how, uh, what the impact of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was on the top five or top ten movies of the summer, the answer is not a thing. <laughs> like it's, it made forty million so far, and um, look, it might squeak in at number ten depending on if it does, if it holds up. But my guess is that it's probably not going to crack the top 10. It, it, ironically enough, though, it is his best opening ever as far as uh, his large, the largest opening box office of his career, of Tarantino's career. So it actually beat Inglorious Bastards by $2 million. Yeah, very strange for it to be opening in the summer like this. But, you know, I mean, we can talk about that if you want. But uh, I think... Um, I think it's just interesting that, you know, I mean, with all these blockbusters, here we've got Quentin um and uh coming out with this this piece so and i do want to talk about this for sure because you know um you know this was uh years in the making as most of his movies are and uh you know there was a lot of word about this and not all of it was good good uh good press let's put it that way um there were a lot of concerns going in this movie and i shared some of them 
uh, particularly with the subject matter of, uh, and I'll just say it, uh, Charles Manson, right? I, I, I have no interest in seeing a Charles Manson movie. I have none. Like if, it, and so, so the fact that, you know, uh, it was reported originally that that was like the main, the main subject of the film. And I was really just like, well, I guess, I guess there's a Quentin Tarantino movie I'm not going to see. Uh, but as the trailers came out and as I heard a little bit more about the movie, I was um, a little bit more comfortable with uh, how uh, it was going to be, de- how he was going to be depicted and what the actual uh, movie was. And I, I'm looking forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on it. Ashley, we'll start with you um, because probably this period of time is probably one that you're probably not that familiar with. Am I, am I, am I good close there? That is fair to say. Okay. So yeah, um, I went to see it basically because again, it was a Quentin Tarantino movie. I think when you see a advertisement for a movie that's been written, directed by Quentin Tarantino, you know that it's going to be distinctive. He has a very particular style, but I also love how he kind of addresses all these different time periods. Like he's done world war two and then kind of civil war era. So he's really jumped around. So I thought that 1960s Hollywood was a really interesting premise. I love movies. I love everything about film. So even though I'm not as familiar with kind of 60s era Hollywood, I thought that was an interesting time period for him to take. And I actually really, I enjoyed the movie. I'm still kind of mulling it over, kind of deciding how I feel about it overall and where it'll rank amongst my favorite Tarantino films. But I think he brings up a lot of interesting ideas about how things change change and grow and evolve in Hollywood. And it was surprisingly emotional to me too. I mean, just the idea that you have this actor um, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who's now kind of past his prime and trying to come to grips with that. And, you know, we see that a lot in Hollywood actors will kind of come and go and what happens to them afterwards. And like you said, I was also worried how they would kind of handle the Sharon Tate part. And I really didn't want to see this sort of real life violence glamorized or over the top as sometimes Quentin Tarantino could do. But I thought he um, shot all her scenes with a kind of a surprising sensitivity and emotion. So I thought he, he did a really good job with that. And I'm looking forward to diving in and talking about this a little deeper with you guys. Yeah. And then not just uh, also, not just about Hollywood's um, sort of uh, the Hollywood era at this time, at this point in time, because there, I mean, the whole country. Uh, 1969 was when a lot of things just changed. It was like a, a yeah. big, a big like turn the corner uh, for a lot of things in this country. So, um, and and just uh, just to throw this out there, how much uh, uh, were you familiar with like the whole like uh, the Manson murders? I was not very familiar at all. Um, I of course have heard it pop up a little bit and. I, I personally don't really like kind of the true crime thing. I, I don't like delving into that. So I sure. was not familiar very much before seeing this movie, but I looked up a little bit afterwards and I think he, he handled it very respectfully. This, it could have gone wrong, I think in a lot of ways, but he handled it well and focused more on um, kind of as a memorial to Sharon Tate, which I appreciated. Interesting. Um, uh, might disagree with some of those things but uh, um uh, i'd be curious to hear what richard has to say what were your thoughts going in and overall what were your thoughts coming out so for me i uh, wasn't very excited the first time i heard the title and um 
you know, I didn't really know what it was about. I didn't even know the Manson thing till very late. Um, I didn't really hear any of that. So probably at the beginning of the year, I wasn't very excited, but then when they started showing trailers and I started seeing more and more, I, uh, I got very excited for Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and I wasn't disappointed. Yeah, because this is the first yeah, time. They, this is the first time they did a up, right? they did a short movie yes. um, from Martin Scorsese uh, a long time ago, but they didn't share any scenes in that apparently. But but yeah, they I mean they their chemistry gotcha, gotcha. is undeniable in this movie. Uh, they were just two guys that you. I really think of this movie as a buddy movie uh, more than anything uh, because they're just two friends. And they're pretty honest with each other and they seem to like each other and they seem like good people, except for um, Brad Pitt, who may or may not have killed his wife, which I thought was hilarious. Like the the way they, the way Quentin can shoot certain things is just (laughs) great. (laughs) Um, So I I love that part. Um, So yeah, after I saw it, I I thought it was, I thought it was genius. Uh, I I think if you're looking for an over, an over, arcing story you're probably not going to be satisfied with this movie the movie felt like bits and chunks kind of taped together in a way but i I, for me it worked um and so i i really really dug it cool also what about you so for me, I'm kind of the same page as Ashley. I agree with a lot of things she was talking about. For me, going into this, I wanted to see a couple of things. One, I was curious about, because like The Hateful Eight, The Hateful Eight started off as a novel, and then he wanted to make it into a movie. And then at one point, he was going to make it into a novel again because the script got leaked. With this, it originally started off as a novel, and then he decided that it would be better fit for the big screen. And I was kind of curious in what ways that would translate. And I think we could talk about this later, but I think you kind of notice that this film feels more of a, either a play that's put to screen or a novel because it's long, but it's not about the length. It's kind of about the long arc and story it tells, even though it kind of takes place over a couple of days for most of the movie until very end where it kind of skips happier. But I also wanted to see growth. I wanted to see growth out of Tarantino. He is a top at his game in terms of writing. One of the best directors too, but let's be honest, he always has controversy wherever he goes. Be it about how he handles race. Sometimes it's about how he handles women in his movies and especially violence. So I was kind of curious how he would handle this movie that it was $90 million budget, which for him and kind of a, it's not really an indie picture, but for Tarantino, all of his movies, they're not getting Marvel money. But $90 million has kind of pushed it almost to what a Marvel film would have for a budget. And I was kind of curious to see how that would work. And I was really impressed with how it visually looked. With a lot of movies that kind of go back a flash to the past, you kind of see where they had to use green screen a lot of CGI to cover some things up. <laughs> and for all I know, maybe he did use some CGI to touch things up. But Tarantino is someone who doesn't like to use green screen or CGI, so I doubt it. But he did use as much practical props and locations as possible, and it really showed him, made the movie more entertaining for me. But I saw growth for him. There are violence in this, and we're doing spoilers, right? Yes, oh, yeah. absolutely. 
All right. So at the end, there is a great violent scene. But for most of the film, I think it was 80% of the film, I was like, is this going to be the first Tarantino film that doesn't have excessive violence? And when it did come, I think it was handled well because I was scared the whole time, like Ashley said, that it was going to happen to Sharon Tate. But instead, kind of like how in Glorious Bastards, we kind of, he kind of takes our expectations and does something different with it by handling Adolf Hitler and killing him off, which is of course not how it happened in history. In this case, he had the killer's get knocked off by Brad Pitt instead of killing off Sharon Tate, which was a nice twist. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got to that point, I think the violence was almost entertaining because we've been kind of waiting for that this whole time. But I saw growth in terms of other areas. And maybe you guys can comment and you can agree with me or disagree. But there's some things I thought they handled better. One was, in a lot of his films, something he gets a lot of bad press for, and probably deservedly, is how he writes a lot of the N-word in his films and some of his actors are fine with it a lot of the press are not and i can see why but in this we didn't see any of that and also i think the violence was handled better for the mainstream audience i'm fine with that because i'm a big tarantino fan in his films but i think he kind of made this film more of a not a tarantino tarantino picture but a really good movie that a lot of people can see that was directed by tarantino if that makes sense sure sure Mike? I'm a huge Tarantino fan. I've actually seen all nine of them multiple times. I actually own all nine of them. And it's pretty amazing for this, because this is the first work by Tarantino that is not a Weinstein picture also. So it was a big step for him to, you know, break away from the Harvey Weinstein and Miramax type thing. And... It was neat to see, you know, where he was going with it and what he was trying to to go. I'm a lot of people who know me know I'm a huge history buff. And it was just amazing to see him recapture 1960s Hollywood. And it was like, it was like a love story in a lot of ways to that era and the innocence still, even though you started, you were having the hippie movement and everything. And a lot of people always said, you know, a lot changed with the Manson family. And that's completely true. You know, it, you know, it almost killed the innocence of the hippie movement and it was right before Woodstock. It was right before a lot of different things that were happening at the time. And, you know, I know a ton about, you know, the whole Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski and the whole thing about the house and, you know, everything with, you know, the four people that were there and the bystander. And it was just amazing to see how they captured it. And Margot was amazing as Sharon Tate. You know, I just, loved her the whole time that she was in it and it was really neat that you didn't really have the main characters you had two separate stories running at the same time you had the Sharon Tate story and then you had the Cliff and Rick story and it was just really well done and they only touched on each other until the very end and it was just neat to see how it came about do I think it's his best movie? No, but 
I think it's high up there. I think you got what you expected. You got some amazing acting jobs from Margot and you got from also, you know, it was just awesome to keep on seeing, you know, Brad Pitt as Cliff was just amazing. And his characterization was just awesome. He was likable. He was, you know, the way he was working with Rick, it was just awesome. Leonardo DiCaprio was believable as a washed up actor. And, you know, someone who was losing his confidence, who beat himself up, you know, that's trailer scene that he did, you know, when he, after he messed up the lines and while he was shooting the Western, that was all improv. He did that to himself. And it was just, it was just awesome. (laughs) And kudos to Quentin Tarantino to do something like that and doing practical effects and not doing a ton of CG and, you know, knowing his history to see this is how it was. And it was like a lot, you know, seeing when he was driving down Hollywood Boulevard or something and seeing all the different movie posters and the restaurants. And you even saw a a billboard for a big Kahuna burger from Pulp Fiction. You know, it was just awesome, you know, just to do. And then of course the lucky, you know, the red apple cigarettes, which go through almost every one of his films. It was just awesome. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a question on what you think of the ending, because there are two, I've seen that there are, I mean, I guess it could be multiple, but I, I think they're really two because I, I think, um, when I stepped out of there, the biggest thing, the biggest question I had is, okay, is Tarantino trying to supplement history or is he trying to change it again? And Lord knows, I mean, throughout his, his career, he's, he's, in his films, he's, he doesn't mind changing history. Right. Um, um, and so, uh, at the end of the movie, right. Um, my feeling when I, when I was watching it was that the, 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 the five people that are outside of the, of Roman Plansky's house, uh, walk in and then moments later, they're going to be slaughtered. Now, there are some people that think, no, no, the, 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 the attack that happens instead of happening at the Polanski house hap- is, is happens at uh, uh, um, Leo's house, right? And, and, and that all, like, so Tarantino is actually changing history here. Correct. He did. Rick going out to yell at the damn hippies with that car changed history right there. But why? Because Charlie wasn't there, but Charlie was actually at the... No, no, he was not. He was not, Mike. That's the thing. Charles Manson was his, he sent his followers, the four, the four folks who were in the car originally, he sent them to kill everybody at that house, to slaughter everyone at that house. There's a little story behind that because Manson was a singer and he was a friend of actually Brian Wilson, who used right. to live right. there right, in that house before the Planskys did. And basically, uh, Manson split with, you know, with Wilson and basically wanted revenge. And that's why he, you saw, you only saw Charles Manson once in this movie. And that was brilliant. You didn't, it didn't focus on Charles Manson, the man it fe- 
focused on the family, everything he was setting up. And Manson was not at the murder. He was nowhere near there in that. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You're right. Sorry about that. Yes. And so it was history wise. They even got the street right. That was the street. It happened. Well, the street is easy to get right. No, but the the whole house, but they, what, you know, Rick going out and yelling at them changed their mind on who they were going to go kill because they were going to, they were ordered to kill everyone in that house. Sure. And Rick going to the house, you know, coming out and yelling at them with the picture of margaritas in his hand and, you know, basically telling them to get out of there. It, it spooked them. And the one who, you know, one of them stole the car and went off and left the other three to it. I will say that. In in the case of this movie, I think that uh, he does uh, everything a disservice to change history here, um, and and he does a disservice to his own movie. Uh, throughout the movie, um, he there's a lot of foreboding, there's a lot of uh, foreshadowing, there's a lot of foreboding, there's a lot of setup for what eventually should happen. That well, doesn't. But that's what you want in a, a filmmaker. He no, that's you, not what you want in a filmmaker. No, no, you, he threw <laughs> you. Not, he <laughs> threw you off perfectly the whole time. I saw Sharon Tate. I was thinking Dead Woman Walking. You know, right. pretty much. Well, and that's and, fine. But and but it was such wrong. a sense of foreboding. Right. It was like the so whole. There's scene no payoff for that when she went to the movies and everything. There's, there's absolutely no payoff for that, right? So there's no payoff for that. And actually, actually, the, all the scenes with Sharon Tate are beautifully shot. And I think Margot Robbie does an amazing job and they're really fun to watch. I love those scenes. They're love. They're basically, it's a love letter to Sharon Tate. Right. Um, And I loved watching it, but she's not really a character in this. She has her own. She doesn't really talk. She doesn't really have any scenes that, that move the plot along. She doesn't really, all we do is like kind of see her do stuff and we kind of hang out with her and then that's it. It just ends like so. So you don't really get to know her. You don't get to know her as a character. You just kind of see like her from afar as if we were kind of spying on her for a day or two, Um, which, you know, you don't get the sense. You don't get the scenes with her that you do with Rick and Cliff. Right. That like it is the Rick and Cliff story. Yeah. And and so you have this background of the Tate stuff, which I don't know if it's necessary to this movie. It's, it's, it's certainly Tarantino's, um, uh, he can, I mean, obviously he can put it in if he wants to. And, you know, it's, it takes place at the same time and I get some of it, but I, I almost think that, I don't know if you said, if it's just a Rick and Cliff movie, then maybe it becomes more of a Shane Black movie than a, uh, than a Quentin Tarantino movie, really. But, there's just like, you know, there's, there's, there's not really, it's almost like uh, comparing it to the book we read a couple of weeks ago, right? We're on the road. There's not really a plot here. There's not really a story. It's basically a lot of character moments, some of which are amazing. And some of which are, I think are really uh, emotional, uh, especially the stuff with Rick and Cliff. And I agree that Leonardo and Brad are on top of their game here. They're just, I don't, I, I can't believe this is the first time that they've ever acted together. They feel like they've been 
uh, acting together and been a team for like years. And I want to see more movies with the two of them. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I sort of want to hear from most of you guys on what other things you liked about the movie in particular. And Ashley, we'll start with you. Ashley. Sorry. I realized I had mute myself and was talking along and no one could hear me. So let's try that again. Um, One of the things that I enjoyed the most about this movie was the little films within a film where you got little flashbacks to um, Rick Dalton's career in different little Westerns and war movies that he'd been in. Um, Even though Westerns aren't my personal favorite, I have a dear friend that really loves Westerns and seeing some of those clips reminded me of stuff I'd watched with her. So it felt really authentic to that era. Um, I thought the way that this movie was shot was just gorgeous. Um, it is a pretty long runtime, but because of that, it allows you to have some slower moments and just have, you know, shots of characters driving while the music is playing and just the sunniness and the, just capturing that vibe of 1960s Hollywood. It's a really meaningful movie to watch visually. It's one of them that you don't even necessarily need dialogue on the screen to kind of get the flavor and the feel that he's going for. So I really appreciated how the movie was shot in a technical sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. So from a guy who's like known for really challenging narratives, um, uh, I thought that um, there is some interesting choices here in particular, um, you know, the use of flashbacks or, um, or cutaways, like cutaway gags, almost as if like it was a long, yeah. almost as if it was an episode of Family Guy. Um, <laughs> for those people who watch Family Guy, um, but yeah, I was, yeah, I was really expecting him to return to the scene where Cliff did or did not kill his wife, and later show us what happened with the rest of it. But nope. he doesn't. He just kind of like leaves that hanging. So I thought it was interesting. He makes several choices like that in this film, where as the viewer, you can kind of decide for yourself based on what you've seen kind of what happened for some of these backstories. So def- definitely some interesting choices. Absolutely. That he's made. Uh, Richard, what's something else that you uh, really enjoyed performance, a character a scene? Uh, well, I cliff booth is the coolest person I've ever seen. I love, <laughs> I want him to be my friend. <laughs> oh God. Um, there's this history of like, of like really awesomely cool stunt guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 And characters. And, and I don't think we've seen that since, you know, maybe Lee Majors, right? But <laughs> he kind of ruined it for everybody. But, I mean, certainly Cliff Booth is in that tradition. Yeah, and I love the Bruce Lee scene. Uh, I, I didn't oh, yeah. know, yeah, I didn't know that that was going to happen. I didn't, re- what I liked about <laughs> the trailers is, like, you felt like you saw a lot, but you really didn't. I feel like just the way the movie was edited together it just a lot of things surprised me and i love the bruce lee when he when he threw him into the car and (laughs) just the whole scene was just great about how this guy is just calm cool and collected against bruce lee who is like the most deadly person alive and the fact that it was uh what's your name's car too was just uh, janet's car yeah that was uh that the that was just hilarious. It was perfect. Oh, yeah, that Kurt was Russell just did so a great awesome. job. And the other scene I want to mention is the uh, when they go out to when um, Cliff goes out to the ranch. Um, that that took like a Rob Zombie turn. Like I, that. <laughs> I mean, it really oh, did. Big, like it, it was time. so tense. Like yeah. 
it is amazing the kind of shifts that the movie does. And I do agree with you, Mike. It's kind of like what I was saying. Like, I think if you're looking for an overarching story, you're not going to find it. But if you're looking for pieces of characters and you can enjoy that, I think you're going to like the movie. Um, yeah, if you're looking for like a, a hero's journey where the character grows or overcomes an obstacle, et cetera, et cetera, this is not your movie. Yeah, right? yes. Um, that's fire. That's fair. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I'm just saying you don't get it in this yeah, one. Yeah, I agree. And, but um, but I, also, but I also think though that the beauty of that that scene too, and it's kind of reminiscent of the movie itself, right? Because there's tension. Throughout, I mean, he, there's tension and suspense throughout that whole sequence, but uh, the payoff on that is that nope, no problem. Everything I, they said was true. <laughs> like, just go home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do. Well, the payoff is the guy uh, stabbing the tire. It turns out, like that's the, well, that yeah. is the true payoff of that whole scene. I think. <laughs> Although when he when he goes, the girl with the red hair, and he goes, "I'm blind." What part did you miss? <laughs> but you don't get that from most Tarantino movies, though. No, not at all. And and he and and you know the other the the two notes about that other that scene too also is that the fact that it wasn't originally supposed to be Bruce Dern. It was uh, originally cast with Burt Reynolds, uh, but of course he passed away. So um, he he couldn't do it. Um, um, but. Uh, also, I also feel like if you knew, if you were really steeped and you knew like Manson lore and all that stuff, then the payoff is something you already know. Like you already know that the that the guy is really like blind and really the back there and being okay with all this, you know. So, um, so that's kind of interesting. But, um, uh, Austin, uh, what's something for that me? You I think it was an act in powerhouse you guys kind of already talked about this margot robbie is fantastic and luckily he did add more scenes with her because originally she only had like five minutes of screen time and she was on the main press junket with leo quentin and brad pitt but she wasn't in it that much they add some more scenes i think it worked really well i'm not sure how he added the scenes because i felt like it's always been there because of how fluid it was and she was great. Mm. Of course, Brad Pitt, Leo, it's kind of an act and powerhouse ballad of a movie. And I, it's been a while since I've seen characters that are in it so much and we get to see them. And like you guys said, there's not really traditional character development in an overarching arc, but I felt way more connected to these characters than almost any other character uh-huh. in recent years. And I was, and I'm not sure if this is, and we can talk about it. This is a negative for me or a positive or for you guys, but I was sort of surprised at the amount of characters that was in this movie, besides the main characters, of course, because there's a lot of good actors in this and they all do such a fantastic job for Bruce Dern, who was supposed to, um, like you said, Burt Reynolds was supposed to be, be there, but he did such a great job. Al Pacino's in it. Dakota Fannin. There's so many good actors. A favorite of mine actually was the little girl who was reading her lines with Leo. Oh, she was awesome. I was watching that and I'm kind uh, of a, when I'm watching kid actors, I sometimes cringe a little bit because, and it's not their fault. You know, they're kids. They're only like 10 years old. But that girl was literally holding her own kids <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, one of the best actors of our generation. 
I don't know what it is with kid actors today. I, I've said it many times over the last year or so. They're so good now. They used to be not, but man, these kid yeah, actors are amazing these days. Amazing what she did in that. And I saw one article of some people discussing if she could get like a best supporting actress nomination. And technically she could because there are actors that have wanted or been nominated for even smaller roles, like Judy Dench, for example. But I want to ask you guys this. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Short. I'm out of screen time. He's giving you a hard time. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my question for you guys is, with all the actors that are in this, because there's constant new characters and great actors who play the roles throughout this, a lot of new characters that come up to Leo and Brad introduce themselves, and they're in the story, but they're not really a part of it. The guy who plays Bruce Lee is so great. Kurt Russell's in it, but he's only in it for a couple of minutes. Was that? But he's the narrator, also. Oh yeah, he's the narrator. Were you guys okay with how the supporting actors were portrayed in that there was a whole bunch of them, but they were all very good, but they weren't in it for very long? Or would you preferred less characters, but they would have had more screen time? I think. I think uh, for me, anyway, I think the the revolving door of characters was just fine. I mean, there, like, you know. I think Quentin has a lot to say about this era. And the only way he can say it is by taking two, like having two people uh, in this case, Rick and, and Cliff and have them be our guide through 1969 Hollywood. And so we're going where they go and we're seeing what they see and who they see. And, and, you know, Hollywood at that time was kind of like that. I mean, you just kind of saw people here, there, and, and, and in a business where you, you know, you work with someone and be really close with someone for like one movie. And then, you know, you wouldn't see them again for maybe ever. Um, uh, so I, I got, I, that, it felt like a Robert Altman movie in some ways. Like a, a who's like who that, of Hollywood. It's just people thing. coming in and. Yeah, coming in and, and but I like the fact that they weren't all playing somebody that mm-hmm. you were supposed to know. Like, I mean, certainly we get like, you know, we get um, uh, Timothy Oliphant plays James Stacy, and we get a number of people who actually play like actual Manson characters. Um, and we get, you know, Bruce Lee and someone playing Steve McQueen and that kind of thing. But a lot of them are just kind of like more like amalgamations of, of other character, real people. And um, yeah. I'm just characters, which I think was fine. like the girl is not, as far as I know, is not supposed to be anybody in particular, but she's just a great character. Oh, the girl I mean, he picks up. I think that, is, that no, the, oh, the little um, girl. The no, little not, girl. not, 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 not pussy. Yeah. The little girl, because the little girl actually, I think if I had to pick my favorite scene in the movie, it's the sequence where uh, he and the little girl are are reading their books together and then followed up with when he actually does the scene with her. Um, that, that, those two scenes that tells, that tells a little sign, a little tiny story of Rick Dalton that is just precious. And I think it's just worth, worth the price of admission of the movie alone, because it's just an amazing, like, you know, before and after, as far as, as far as Dalton and, and, and going in and, and making that show. Um, and I thought that was really incredible. Um, just like I would say for me, uh, my favorite uh, Sharon Tate scene is where she, you know, goes to the theater and is really nervous about, you know, like, you know, saying, Hey, I'm in the movie, you know, she's really, she's really sweet. And, and then she goes and she has a blast, like watching herself. I thought that was, 
just really fun to hang out with her doing that. Um, uh, it felt really natural. And it's really interesting from a movie perspective, too, because you've got an actress playing Sharon Tate, watching the real Sharon Tate. And, and yeah, Margot Robbie's doing a good job, but she doesn't look exactly no. like Sharon Tate. So, so you're kind of seeing this, like, it's as, Quentin's like saying, yeah, I know they're not the real, same person, but, you know, believe that they are, you know? And, and it's really kind of putting the viewer in an interesting position there. And, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's one thing that Quentin always does. He challenges the viewers. He doesn't just let you sit and, and act and not be, and pa- be passively watching something. You have to be active when you're watching. Oh, sure. And that's one of the great things about this film is, you know, seeing, you know, it's not distracting seeing all these different actors come in and out and it never has been in his films. It's just neat to say, Oh, wait a minute. I recognize that person, but it doesn't take away from the story at all. And that, that's one of the things well, I, I love think, about I think, Tarantino is his dialogue. The dialogue between the characters is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And this one has like, I think less curse mm-hmm. words than all of his others put together. Like, I mean, actually I, yeah, I think maybe, yeah, there's maybe like, yeah, the, the censors are probably like, Oh my God, we can Mike, maybe actually show this one on TV. Um, Until the dog scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, Until the dog yeah. scene. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, um, all right, so let's get to some stuff that maybe we didn't like, or you know, uh, we're a little, little less and we're a little bit more ambivalent about. Um, Ashley, is there anything in this movie that kind of um, you're so about? So I feel or? like I'm still kind of thinking over the movie, chewing on it, deciding how I feel about it, which I kind of like. You know, it's it's nice to have movies sometimes that make you think a little bit and try to decide how you feel about it. It is a pretty long movie. So I feel like maybe it could have been trimmed down a little bit, but at the same time, there wasn't really a moment where I felt bored or fidgety, like where the movie started to drag, but it is pretty lengthy for based on what it is. I think, I think if you put all the scenes of them driving and, and looking at LA, like in the background together, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's yeah. a good hour and a half. It's a fun hour and a half, but it's yeah, still like so a lot. I feel lot. like there's some ways it could have been tightened a little bit, but um, I didn't feel bored by any means. Awesome. I Richard? wish uh, I could uh, say something negative, but I honestly, I just loved the movie. I just thought it was great. Uh, I mean, I will touch on like the very end, um, the way you had talked at the beginning. Like for me, I just honestly feel like it kind of a, is a feel good story. Like Quentin, you know, you go out, he left on a happy ending. And that's, that's why, the way it, I, that's why that, at the end it was perfect where it said once upon a time. Yeah. That's the way I took it is like, it was this Hollywood fairy tale. I mean, because many people think that, you know, the Sharon Tate, uh, you know, it was such a tragedy and she was so innocent and just everything going on at the time. And I think he, he took it just like he did with Inglorious Bastards, even though I haven't seen it. Uh, he, he took his <laughs> opportunity to. Spoilers. I just want to say him getting the flamethrower out of the pool is the coolest thing ever. And I don't know if it's the fact that he had it. Like, he thought, this is cool. I'm going to take it home. (laughs) So that's what I, I mean, but I just, the movie went very quick for me. 
I didn't, I don't feel like it dragged at all. Is it perfect? Probably not, but I just loved it. I, I just thought it was a, I thought it was, I thought it was a great film of different, like it was a comedy. It had some drama moments. It had a Rob Zombie moment. So, uh, you know, I, I just thought it fit. I just thought it worked for me. Um, Quentin's like, I'm going right. I mean, Kill Bill, this well, is probably my, I, I mean, I put on my uh, Facebook about, you know, my favorites and Kill Bill is my favorite, uh, after thinking about it. And this is probably number two, but I mean, I, I love Quentin's movies. I mean, Pulp Fiction is uh, iconic and, uh, so, but I, I think this goes right up there, not as a story, but as a film, I'll say. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. And, and look, I mean, as far as feel good, if you want people to really feel good about like, and when they leave the theater, like there's nothing better than cutting a, a Batman 66 promo. Like I was like listening to that going, I, I hope this is on the soundtrack <laughs> because if this is not on the soundtrack, I'm not, I don't care how many cool songs are on the soundtrack. I'm not buying the soundtrack. Because I, I love that Batman 66 promo. Uh, so for me, Austin, I'm kind of in the same boat that I don't really have like one big thing that I did not like. Overall, acting, directing, writing, editing, music, it just works so well within this. There's like a couple of things that I've been pondering going, if this was changed, would I have enjoyed it more? Not, I wish this was changed because then I would enjoy it more. I guess some things I was thinking about, like I was talking before, there's so many side characters and I really loved almost all of them. And I was pondering if there was more Bruce Leanette or Kurt Russell, or they kind of developed more of the characters that's at the ranch, you know, every time they're on screen, they're so good. Would I have enjoyed the movie more? Honestly, I don't know. And it's not really a negative. It's just something that I think about. Also something I think about, but really, it's not really that much of a negative, is the movie's two hours and 45 minutes, which is okay by me because it's like almost every single one of his films is almost three hours. But it's not, in, I think it's not as tight as, say, Django, which is kind of a thrill ride from begin to end. But I wasn't really bored. I wasn't, I wasn't bored or I didn't think it really dragged on. It just didn't seem as fast-paced but it still worked for me. So honestly, I don't really have that much negatives. I kind of am curious if some things were changed, how I would have liked it more. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a powerhouse in terms of acting and writing. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. For me, Mike, the only negative I could have, truthfully, was a lot of too much car scene. There was... Yeah, really. I know you? it's kind of scary to think. There was just it, it, <laughs> I thought that would be like the things that you love the most. Like, well, hey, I loved I seeing going. the sceneries and I loved doing it, but I just thought there was too much time in the car, and I love everything but it. It didn't take away from the movie. There's nothing that took away from this movie for me. I was pleasantly surprised because I went into this movie and with not knowing anything about it all. I knew it was about the Manson family and about Sharon Tate and Brad Pitt's character and Leo's, but that was it. I didn't know where the story was going. Halfway through the movie, I was like, where the hell is this story going? 
And, you know, but I loved how it went. And this is the same universe that pretty much Inglorious Bastards takes place in. Because, you know, the whole scene with Leo frying the Nazis, that was an homage <laughs> to, to the ending of Inglorious Bastards. Sorry, Richard. But, you know, it was... Exactly. And it, but it was just the whole thing with burning the Nazis <laughs> and everything. It was just taken from one of, like I said, there's so much taken from other movies that he's done in this. And it's just really cool to see. And it was just also awesome to see, you know, like the scenes, like Richard said, it became a Rob Zombie movie when they were out at the ranch. It was, you know, when Cliff was like, I want to go see this guy, you know, and you know, the whole thing. And it was like, everyone was like watching him go up to the house and everything. But then when he came out, it was only pussy. And it was just like, it was just so well done. And I loved, you know, you expected there to be a showdown between Tex and Cliff, you know, go get Cliff, go get Cliff. And you see, you know, the car pulling away as Tex comes down. That was just really well done. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it. this is such a well done movie. Um, I think, I think for me, like, I, the thing about Quentin is that sometimes I think, like, he's his own, like, worst enemy sometimes, right? Because I think... I know he knows how to make good movies. I know how he know he knows how to how film works. I know every decision that he makes, he's conscious of. Um, but I also think that every once in a while he'll be like, "I don't care." Like if I'm if I'm breaking the rules because it's cool. Like case in point, and this is not something that I'm going to be critical about. I'm just saying, like, there's no reason that no that logical reason in this movie Actually, that Kurt Russell that, that as Randy should be narrating negative. the second half of this movie. Yeah. Or last act, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's yeah. no reason except for Quentin going. That's cool. I want that. So, I mean, that's the but only. He actually he's doing. He narrated and, the whole one movie. It was him the whole time. Yeah, I'm gonna hop in. I'm gonna say that. No, though, I'm gonna change no what my it was. I didn't really have a negative. My negative is gonna be the voiceover. In that, I. Maybe I should see it again, but I did not notice a voiceover in the beginning of the movie. I noticed it towards the second half or really the last act. And I'm fine with voiceover. It works so well right. if done right, especially in like Goodfellas, for example. And I don't think it's done bad here. It's just that if you're going to commit to the voiceover, you should start at the beginning at least throw it in there. And it was just so random to have it come out of nowhere and having Kurt Russell, who's already a character in the movie, narrate Leo doing a bunch of random things. It that will I'm gonna say that's my one week moment for the movie. <laughs> yeah, and I I didn't want to make it a big deal. I like for me I just like it's just one of those things that I'm like, yeah, that's Quentin just being like, this is what I want to do. Like and and he doesn't like he trusts his gut because nine times out of 10, what he wants to do pays off and is good. Right. So yeah, you, every once in a while, maybe it doesn't work, but you know, he's going to listen to his gut rather than what he quote unquote is supposed to do as a, as a filmmaker. So I, 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 I kind of, I admire that. I mean, he is one of the true mavericks when it comes to making movies. I mean, how many other filmmakers out there, have final cut privilege 
you know, and, and demand it. And, you know, one of the things he was, he was, you know, for eight films, he was under Harvey Weinstein and had um, rights to do whatever he wanted. And now all of a sudden without Harvey, he's got to find a deal where he gets the same thing. And that's, that wasn't easy. That took him a while too. So um, I, I give him a lot of credit and I give him a lot of credit for this movie. Cause I think it's a pretty solid effort. Um, is it one of my favorites of his? Probably not. Um, I really, really love Hateful Eight. Um, to be honest, since we've already kind of mentioned some of our favorites, like Hateful Eight, I really love, and it's probably my favorite. Uh, it is my favorite uh, of Tarantino's movies. Uh, I'm not saying it's his best, but it's my personal favorite. Um, so, uh, but anyway, let's hear what we have to say about this one and wrap it up. Um, Ashley, out of five stars, or what do you give? Out of stars on the Hollywood Walk I'm of Fame. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Uh, this is definitely one that I would like to see again. Um, right now, Django Unchained is my favorite Tarantino film, but I can definitely see this one um, ranking at the top. And I wanted to circle back around real quick to Austin, something you had mentioned about seeing growth from Tarantino as a director in this film. And I saw that too. Just, I think it is his most emotional film and he took some risky topics, but portrayed it really well. The acting is just top notch in this one. Again, I would definitely want to go back to see this a second time. And I think there's a lot to chew on here and just a really great experience at the movies. I love the big budget blockbusters and all the franchise films, but sometimes it's nice to see something totally different from that. And this film uh, filled that for me. I have heard more than one person refer to Tarantino or this movie in particular as being uh, actually um, uh, yeah, showing a that's, sweet side. I was hesitant to use that phrase which, because like Tarantino sweet like <laughs> that. It's am I picking up something that's not there? But I think there is like there's something new here. And I really liked seeing that from him. And I'm excited to see what he does next. Yes, because in particular, you can tell how much he loves yes. L.A., especially 1969 L.A., and how much he yes. loves Sharon Tate. And that's that's pretty obvious. So, uh, Richard, what about you? How many how many stars I on mean, the Hollywood Walk of Fame? I, I'm the most wishy-washy person ever. You can ask John Morgan Neal about that, but I'd say five. I mean, I love it. I I don't really, you know, I I this is one that I will watch over and over again. There's only a few movies I do that with these days, but this one I am very excited to see again. Uh, like I said, the the acting is just great, and I I actually love the car scenes. I don't know why, but uh, I actually thought they were really cool. I really love the backseat <laughs> shots uh, and like when the car was like they pull out of the parking spot and drive. I just think it's a really it's his most mature movie. I think yes. Agreed. Even though the girl at the end with the glass in the eyes and stuff is the best. I mean, that was like remnants of uh, Kill Bill. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) it's it's good. I don't know if it's for everybody, but I I think if you don't like Tarantino, you're probably more apt to like this movie. Interesting. For me, I'm also going to give it a 4.5. I had such a good time with this. And I think out of all the Tarantino films, I'm not sure if this is the one that I'm going to, at the end of the day, have rewatched the most because it is very, very long and it's not as fast paced as Django. 
And I don't know if it's going to be a classic like Pulp Fiction, but I think that I'm very excited to go check out again because there's so much to this. There's so many great scenes and there's so many great acting moments within it that even if I don't watch this a million times, like how I've watched Kill Bill half like a dozen times, I think that once it comes on DVD and it gets uploaded to YouTube or whatever, it's going to be one that I'm going to be constantly looking up new scenes from it and watch it. Cause every scene itself is almost like a really good short film. And, and that's just going to make me want to watch it as a whole again. So I'm going to say a 4.5. I really love this and I enjoyed the growth and maturity that Tarantino brought to this. Awesome. I'm going to give this a five. I enjoyed it a ton and it was actually really good because afterwards I went to go see this with Sherry Brown. It's just really fun that we got to talk about it and we were just talking about it for a bit. And then even when we got home, we were online and we were chatting, Oh, I got this from the movie and this from the movie and this from the movie. Is this his best movie? No. You know, for me, it's always going to be Pulp Fiction. And I just could watch that movie over and over and over again. This one, I'm definitely going to go see again in the theater. It's that kind of movie that you want to see it in the theater. And Judy wants to go see it when she's out. And so she will be able to go see it together. And it's it was just a lot of interesting stuff. It was a lot of thought-provoking. It was the dialogue, talking, and seeing, oh, wait. You know, this is this part. I fully expected the guy to be dead or rotting in like a corpse or something as in the cabin when, you know, Cliff was going in to see his friend using air quotes. And it was just, you know, because the Manson family was just creepy as hell. And them going out to the ranch was just, it was so well done. And then the final fight at the end, it was just, you know, Brad Pitt and the dog was just, you know, the dog was one of the stars of this movie too, <laughs> you know, and it was, I mean, I meant to say that good well, Mike, to see uh, and yeah. enjoyed great. everything about it. And, you know, if anyone asks, you know, I definitely would recommend this one. I would recommend it as well. I think uh, it's worth checking out. I think it's a, it's a great, um, time capsule uh, much like the way that you know we sort of talked about on the road being a time capsule this one is a great time capsule of uh of of 1969 and um i mean it's definitely from quentin tarantino's rose-colored glasses uh point of view but still it's pretty awesome and there's enough really really great scenes and most importantly uh brad and leo just kill it like um, I know that, you know, because they get paid what they do, because they're the, the big stars that they are, there's sometimes some backlash against both of them. Um, but um, I, I think movies like this show, yeah, they are, there's a reason that they're the best. I mean, they're labeled as the best because they really are so good. And and so good together, you know? I mean, I don't know what it was like on set or what, anything like that, but certainly in the performance, you don't really see any signs of, of any sort of posturing or, you know, uh, rivalry or anything like that. They just seem really comfortable. In fact, I had to be reminded that, you know, uh, Leo's like almost 10 years younger. Than, wow. Uh, 
Um, it's just, uh, they seem like they're just buddies. Um, but I wonder if Leo so, is really closer to uh, what we saw at the end of the cigarette commercial. Well, you know, um, who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, he seems to be a little bit quieter than, uh, than Brad in terms of his, uh, uh, what people like say about him. <laughs> in any case, uh, I would give this, uh, a solid four, uh, for Hollywood stars. Um, uh, one last thing I did want to point out is uh, I appreciate um, uh, Quentin uh, doing um, opening credits and telling us kind of like who was in the movie first. Uh, in particular, I was a, I was really um, um, appreciative of getting a heads up that Luke Perry was in the movie because when I saw him, I almost like, I, like if I, if that had been like, uh, if I hadn't been warned that he was in it, I would have like all of a sudden seen him and I probably would have gotten really emotional. Not that I'm like a big 90210 guy or whatever, but just the fact that this is his last movie, it would have like really like taken me out of it. Um, yeah. And he's great in it too, by the way. Um, I did not expect him to be in this movie. <laughs> so, um, but very cool. Well, thanks everybody. That was, that was fun. Um, and uh, I think Mike, is that our last summer movie? This is our last summer movie. Oh, so we are we are leaving Hollywood uh, for the summer. So mm, not quite. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll be right back with the ESO Network Con. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about episode five of Swamp Thing. So Swamp Thing is about halfway done, and episode five has me wondering how they are going to wrap up all that they have put together in five episodes in the next five episodes, because some of these characters have gotten themselves into a lot of crap, and some of these characters are just plain silly. So, episode 5 has Abby studying the piece of plant that she got from Swamp Thing, trying to analyze it and figure out what it is, because it is a combination of plant and human, and she can't really figure out the cell structure and this and that because it defies all science. We also see Avery Sutherland throwing his power around and seeing no consequences whatsoever. The police sheriff talking about her cases to Sunderland while she is sleeping with him and he is cheating on his wife. And then we also later see her shoot someone in the head because he threatens her son. And yeah, so like these characters, man, like they're, they're really, really trying to show us who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. So we also see Abby talking to Susie later on, who seems to be possessed by Abby's childhood friend, and Abby really does not seem to bat an eye during this entire thing. It doesn't seem to freak her out or anything. She just thinks Maria has filled the little girl's head with weird lies, even though some of the stuff she's telling her, Maria wouldn't have known. So it's kind of creepy. And then later on, we do finally get to see that she is possessed by Abby's childhood friend and that there's this evil and all of that. But, you know, I'm not sure what's in the swamp water, but... It's really messing with these characters. We do finally get to see the Blue Devil's costume, and we get to learn a little bit more about the character and his struggle with having to be in the town, which 
to me is probably the one story arc I want to see more of and I want to see resolved this season because they've been very, very thin lining it and now we're actually getting a little bit more meat with it. Overall, though, the show has been really great. They have some really fun ongoing storylines and I'm sad that they may not tie up all of those loose ends before the season finishes out since they did not renew it for a second season. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. For the week of August 1st, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. I can't believe it's August 1st already. I know. Shocking, isn't it? It really is. It really is. Before we talk about all the places you can find ESO Network folks at in August, I just want to say um, the Atlanta Comic Convention was held, uh, the one-day show was held this past weekend. Mike and I were both there, although separate at separate times. We didn't actually see each other because, you know. That's the way the law goes. Exactly. We, uh, we, we have to maintain a distance. So, um, but uh, a lot of uh, a good turnout, I thought, uh, by the time I got there anyway in the afternoon. I heard it was slow in the, in the morning. So uh, I don't know if that's true, but maybe you can speak more to that, Mike. But um, it seemed like a good crowd, a lot of good deals. I never, I never can walk out of there without getting at least four or five trades. Oh, I walked out only with one this time and not one pop figure. Sorry mm-hmm. to say it. They had some decent ones that I was thinking about, but it was just like, do I really need them? No. So I didn't. Well, there's a couple other conventions going on at the same time, most notably one in, in Raleigh. So there was a couple of folks that uh, we that we usually see at uh, Wes's show, uh, but uh, were not there. So uh, I thought it was kind of interesting to have a, a few different people there in the vendor room. But um, it was really weird walking in there. No Mark Ballard. I know wow. that was that freaked me out too. I'm like, what's happening? So, uh, so anyway, I, I I think they're still uh, trying to figure out when the, the last show of the year is going to be. I've heard it might be the first weekend in November. I've also heard it might be in December. So they're still trying to nail that down. So, uh, but uh, whenever they do it, um, if, if I can go, I will go because uh, that's always a fun show to go to, hang out and uh, see uh, various people and get some some good deals on comics. I love that. So. Um, and, uh, speaking of good one day comic shows, there's one coming up this weekend. It is a new show. It is going to be held in Smyrna, Georgia at, uh, at, at the Legion Legionnaire center. And it's the Legion comic con. And it's put on, uh, by our good friend, Chris Hamer, who, if you know, Chris, uh, he's a delightful man with a lot of different, uh, funky interests. So I expect this show to be very unique in its presentation, but also very cool. So uh, I'm really looking forward to the seeing what's going on at the Legion Comic Con. Mike and I will be there uh, most of the day, uh, hanging out, talking to people, maybe even recording some bits. So uh, if you want to, if you're interested in, in uh, being on a podcast or just podcasting in general, seek us out and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll show you the art. We'll show you our mic. Well, that's a little personal, but, you know, you could show her yours. You could show them. Nah. Nah. I'm not showing them yours. That's for sure. Um, And then at the end of the month, August 29th through September 2nd, is the granddaddy of all conventions here in the Atlanta area. And for me personally, it is my favorite show of the year. 
it is Dragon Con. And uh, Dragon Con looks like it's going to be shaping up to be an amazing event. Uh, there's some... There's still some issues, uh, most notably with one of the host hotels, which I'm sure if you've read the news or paid attention to the Dragon Con report, uh, the, the newest episode of that, we kind of explain a little bit what's going on with some of the hotels. But um, it still looks to be an amazing event, an amazing weekend. There's going to be lots of ESO Network folks there and lots of friends of the station. And we'll have a complete list of those, uh, hopefully coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Mike and I are sure to be there. We're still getting our panel schedule down. Uh, so uh, I know that right now I'm set to be on four panels. And Mike's probably set to be on, what is it up to now, 40? Uh, 40, you know, sleep is optional. Always like 10 a day? Out. Yeah, that's about right. Right. So, so I, we'll, uh, I don't see a problem with that, do you? No, not at all. So uh, we will have much more um, details on that as uh as the weeks to come and we still have one more episode of the dragon con report to record so uh look out be on the lookout for that and if you want to participate in that one if you want to let us know what you're excited about uh, this year at dragon con please reach out to us because we we want to hear from you and we'll air it on on part as part of the show because we love talking about dragon con and we love talking about conventions So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Austin, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun talking about Tarantino. Anything you want to shout out about or promote? Yeah, sure. So I'm a part of Trash Talk Podcast, which is a podcast where we talk movies, comic books, TV shows, and games all while having a couple or multiple drinks. So if you're interested in some people talking in depth on movies, comic books, TV shows, and games, and having a couple of drinks, having a good time, we have a debate section, and we do a real news and fake news section where I play game with the audience and my hosts, where I give out four pieces of ridiculous movie news, but one is fake, and they have to guess which one's the fake news. If that sounds fun, check out Trash Talk Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Excellent. And we'll have a link to that up on our show notes. I, I play that story. I play that game every time I open up the internet. It's like, which one is fake news? Which one is fake news? <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to touch that one. That's too loaded of a question, right? There. Fair enough. And Richard, thank you, my friend. Thank you, guys. It's always great to be on the main main station here. Um, you can find us on uh, the ESO network as well. We've got two shows, the Nerdy Laser and the PWR Spot Show. The One's a nerdy show, one's a wrestling show. I'll leave that up to uh, you to decide which one. You can find that on iTunes, and uh, also on iTunes is the Assignment Horror Podcast. If you like old horror movies, that's the place to go. You can find me on social media at nerdy laser and you can go to nerdylaser.com to buy my mini comic yay that I, is gave awesome. I gave a shout out to that last week so. yes he did it's Sweet, really thank awesome you. yes thank you mike and of course ms ashley pauls oh thank you guys i had a blast talking about the movie with you all tonight and it made me like it even more than i already did so had a lot of fun that's even better anything you want to shout out about 
Um, yeah, just uh, you can find my reviews up on the ESO podcast website. I have, of course, a review for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I'm also continuing my uh, first time watch of Game of Thrones. So I'll keep working on that as the summer movie season winds down here. That is awesome. And I love reading your reviews. So it's actually, I'm glad you've learned, don't get comfortable with anybody. I know. I keep doing it. It's like, I shouldn't get attached to this person I do. And then they die off in a horrifying way and I'm traumatized <laughs> for the rest of the night. But I, I haven't learned yet. So. Yeah, I get all the way up to the final season. You still won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still keep getting attached, but it's it's been fun. It's been interesting watching it much later after everyone else has gone through the show, but I'm, I've been enjoying it. That is awesome. That is really awesome. You're doing such a great job for us. Thank you. Oh, thanks. And Mr. Mike. As always, it's my pleasure. This was a fun one. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, yeah, well, I do want to shout out. We, we, I think last week we talked in Ranton Raves a little bit about uh, San Diego and all the news that came out of there. Well, if you want to hear me talk a little bit more about in depth about stuff that went on in the San Diego, some movies and uh, TV trailers, that kind of thing. Some of the news that came out of San Diego. Uh, tune in to Needless Things podcast this week, uh, episode 276. Uh, I'm on there with uh, Dave and uh, Ryan head of research uh, that uh, and we, uh, we, we talk about some of the big, big, big stuff. Of course, the Marvel stuff and some of the other stuff as well. That is awesome. You, oh, Dave always puts on a good show over at Needless Things. It's definitely worth giving a listen to. My shout out. Um, we didn't actually even, with all the San Diego stuff, I can't believe that we didn't talk at all about Kevin Smith last week. We forgot completely to talk about Jay and Silent Bob reboot. So it's going to be awesome coming out in October. And they're doing it a pretty amazing way is that they're going town to different towns. Like they're going on the road for six months and they're going to be showing the movie to people. And they're coming here to, I think, center stage in Atlanta and in October. And they are doing two shows of it. Um, it the, the first one sold, sold out in something like 15 minutes. And so they added a second show at 1130 PM and it's going to be awesome to go see them and to hear, hear them talk about the mo- new movie and the preview looks pretty darn awesome. And actually Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley was one of the Manson family in this movie that we just reviewed. So it was actually pretty cool. Nice tie in. Mm-hmm. I try. <laughs> but also, you know, I want to give another shout out to the people who have written me up on Facebook about the Nintendo Switch. I've already picked up four games thanks to people's recommendations. So I've already gotten Mario Kart 8. I've gotten Mario Tennis Aces, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. So, so, for the next, so for the next five weeks, it'll be just me hosting the uh, Earth Station One podcast. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you John for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. I'll produce and I'll I'll be playing my games. But if you want to, if you definitely want to send us more uh, suggestions for other games that you guys recommend, please write me or co-hosts. At- or co-host on the show. That's right. <laughs> yes, you can co-host the Earth Station One podcast. We're taking auditions now. Earth Station One at ESO Network.com. We definitely would love to hear from you. So that's going to wrap it up for tonight. 
We are going back to the movies, though, but this time we're looking at the 50th anniversary of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid next week. So it should be pretty darn awesome. It actually came out right about the same time this movie that we watched this week was based in. So all ties together. Another tie-in. Hey, what can you say? But my name is Mike Faber. It has been my pleasure to talk to you guys at home. Thank you for everything, and we'll see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we're done. Video game time. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.